Welcome to Coffee and Tea with SNL. Everything you love about your favorite coffee shop, all wrapped up in a podcast. I'm Lisa, and I'm passionate about tea, travel, good food, and great conversations, and anything that makes me grow. I'm Sabine, and I create spaces that people enjoy. I'm also a wife, mother of two, a coffee lover, and enjoy a great scented candle. We're two great friends committed to living our best lives and seeing others live theirs. Welcome to Coffee and Tea. Hello and welcome to this episode of Coffee and Tea with SNL. Today we have a guest that we are both really excited about, Ramat Oyechunji, who is the founder and CEO of the FI Woman. And FI stands for the Financially Independent Woman. So we're going to get to talk about all things money. She enjoys talking about money. This is something that is hard for Sabine and I. So this episode is as much for us as it is for everyone else listening. Without further ado, Sabine and Ramat. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hello, Ramat. What are you guys drinking? Before we get into the questions, what's in your respective cups, ladies? Cheryl, hi, Lisa and Sabine. Thanks. I have coffee. Just plain old coffee, but it's in a nice um, oriental cup that I picked up in Singapore. Very and nice. so it's one of my favorite cups. And I know I'm drinking coffee out of a cup that maybe should have green tea or something, but it is my favorite cup and I love coffee. So as someone who lived in Singapore, I will, I will take the, um, what's the word? I'll, I'll, I'll speak for my fellow Singaporeans right now is we love coffee in Singapore. So th- that is okay. And Singapore and is milk tea, things. right? We love milk tea and we love yeah. our coffee. Our, our kopi is like there are coffee places everywhere. So that works. <laughs> That's you funny. Know, what um, you drinking? I have, I have an Ethiopian, um, Coffee, birthplace of uh, coffee, Ethiopia medium dark roast with, what do I have in here? Organic half and half with raw sugar. Okay. My coffees are usually pretty heavy. (laughs) I love a lot of milk in my coffee. So a lot of dairy. So do I. That's funny. Um, So I'm drinking something random today. I'm actually just drinking a a plain ginger tea and I have some like orange vitamin C booster things in it. That's what I'm drinking today. So Ramat, how would you describe yourself to our audience? All right. Um, so first off, I really do appreciate you guys having me on your podcast. I'm excited to talk about money and not just because of money for itself, but more about helping women learn more, do more, um, put their money to use, right? Um, So how I describe myself, um, really, I'm someone who is passionate about empowerment for women. And I have come to learn that there is no greater empowerment than being financially independent. I mean, honestly, um, when you grow up and you see different things, and even here um, as an adult in the States, um, you get to see like women who unexpectedly, either through divorce or some other um, tragedy or something else that happens, and they're almost destitute just because you know they're not financially independent. And so, to me, it really is an important topic for women, and I am very passionate about it. How long have you been in business? Number one, and how long have you been in the financial industry? All right, so the FI Woman um, was launched about five years ago. So we're celebrating our fifth year. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. you. Very exciting. It feels like time has just flown by. Always. But when it comes to finances, um, I would say that I started (laughs) in college when I imagined myself to be a day trader in my senior year. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> which, which I would not advise anyone. To, oh, really? To, to do no, not unless you're a professional <laughs> and you know what the heck you're doing. Okay. You know, and as a senior in college, I definitely did not know what I was doing. So that was kind of like my first foray into even just understanding anything about money. So what made you even decide that? Like, how did you wake up one day and say, "I'm going to be a day trader"? Yeah. <laughs> Now, that's a great question. And because it is so long ago, 
<laughs> I don't remember the exact moment where I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to like try this. But I do remember my sister and I, um, first, I don't remember how we got introduced into the stock market, but we did somehow. And what little money we had, we opened up accounts and we bought like penny stocks. And these are like stocks that literally some of them do trade in the pennies, right? And, you know, we would try to like, some of them would double and I'm like, oh, wow, we made some more money. And of course, like, and then some of them would like tank and like, oh crap, we lost all our money. <laughs> you know? So it was just, so that was kind of just, you know, the very, very introduction to like the stock market and even nice. learning about it. Like I said, that would not be my advice to anybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gotcha. So it's funny because two of my sisters are recently into day trading and I'm still like, I don't understand what's happening here. But I have no idea. Yeah, have not tried my hand at it yet. Um, but yeah, you know what? Yeah, go ahead. Day trading, I would not say, you know, there are people who day, do a lot of day trading and they have these tools and they they have like these um, things that they use on their computers to help them decide, you know, when they're going to sell, when they're going to buy and like intraday prices and all sorts of things. It requires real attention, right? I mean, there are people who do it. That's all they do throughout the day. And when I was a senior, I mean, I was skipping classes because I was glued to my computer, like wow. just staring at this thing, right? But then again, you know, I was a senior. So most of my classes were electives, you know, I graduated. <laughs> but, you know, so there are people who do day trade and they do it successfully. But for the average person, for my audience, for the people that I um, want to empower and work with, it's not, that's not the path I would lead them down. Right. So yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that journey. So yeah, how did you become who you are today? And what is, what do you, what do you do to make a difference in our world? I would say that I started on this journey in, in an interesting way. And I would say that I was lucky that I failed early. You know, I, I don't know if you ladies hear about, you know, when they say fail forward and fail quickly and all of these other like jargon and terms that yep. people in business, right? So I would say I was lucky because I failed early. And what I mean by that is my very first job out of college, um, it was in 2002. And I actually, I graduated 2001, but I got laid off from my, my, um, that job in 2002. After the 9-11 crisis, um, the work was in the oil field industry and they'd been hit by storms. There was like the war going on in the Middle East and all of that. Yeah. And so a lot of us were getting laid off. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was my first um, kind of like taste of my first real job at getting laid off. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing that, I, that was lucky for me is that right before I got laid off, I had made um, a determination to pay off my credit card debt. And this was debt that I racked up day trading. <laughs> <laughs> so that was failure, early failure number one okay. was failure as a day trader. Right. Then second kind of like failure that I learned from was getting laid off. But before getting laid off, having made the conscious decision to pay down debt. And because of that, when I was laid off, I actually had money in the bank versus getting laid off with a bunch of debt that I had to worry about. You know, so that was a very kind of like good learning for me from that failure. Yeah. And from there, I, I, you know, started out in grad school, but between being laid off in February, one day after my birthday, by the way. So oh, no. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, no. I was on, a, on an offshore um, oil rig on my birthday and they actually brought me in, which should have been a clue to me. You know, they, they got me off the rig, which is a big deal because, you know, you have to fly a helicopter to the oil rig and like grab one person oh, wow. you know, to go back to the, to the office on land. And so that was the following day. And so I was laid off. So of course I'll never forget, like it's one day after my birthday, but wow. I was laid off in February. I applied for grad school and I got accepted, but of course school wouldn't start till about August, September. So between that time, 
you know, I was, um, luckily enough, my sister would like house me in her dorm room. <laughs> my boyfriend at the time, who is now my husband, would also like sneak me into his fraternity room. Like, so I was doing like this, like bed hopping for like months, mm -hmm. you know, and then finally, um, I was able to start a job on campus okay. um, because, you know, they said, hey, you're an incoming student. So I was able to get a summer job on campus okay. where I was serving food and washing dishes to people that were going to be my residents because I was, a, I was going to be a resident director. Oh, wow. You know, like, so like all of those things for me are like huge foundations yeah. for why it's important to be financially independent, to have control of your finances, you know, and to never, ever take it for granted. Yeah. Gosh, I love that great stories. And, and um, it's funny, so many of us can be so afraid of failure, and we can miss the gift of failure. But I feel right. like what you're describing is all these things happened. And because of that, you now made this decision, not only to be on top of your finances and to thrive financially, but to make sure that other people do the same thing as well, instead of just letting that failure kind of bring you to your knees, end of story. So I love that. Even, exactly. yeah, even the way that you worded it too, like a lot of times we can look at failure as such a negative thing, but the fact that you pointed out and grateful coming from a place of gratitude, um, you're grateful for failing early, you know? And of course that's with the, I guess, advantage of being able to look back. Yeah. In the middle of it. 2020s you know, hindsight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In the middle of it, it probably didn't feel like a gift. <laughs> Yeah, no, it never does, right? And then you look right, back and you're right. like, oh, this was preparation and things could have gotten worse if I didn't learn this on this smaller scale when I did. Exactly. And 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 so Sabine, you're right. Like I'm always so grateful when I look back because I feel like I failed early and I was able to, and it was at a point where, you know, I could still recover. I could still learn from it. I could still like pull myself up and all of those things. And along the way, other, I, I'm doing air quotes here, like failures, I've always been able to learn from, you know, and I've always been able to see them as, okay, okay, we, we tried that out, that didn't work. Right. <laughs> and now let's move on. But the common theme has always been, you know what, if you have your finances in order, if you've got, you're not going to, you don't have to be a millionaire, but if you've got some money in the bank and you don't immediately have to panic because you actually give yourself some breathing room to try and figure things out, to try and get the best course of action for you instead of re responding in desperation, you know, that that's always a better place to be. Indeed. So what, what's your, because there's a lot of financial professionals that work for other companies, but for you, why was it important for you to start your own business and why focus primarily on women? I would say that um, I first started knowing that I enjoyed learning about the stock market. I understood that day trading was not the way, <laughs> but I did also recognize that, it, that the stock market is a way to invest and grow money, right? And even though I am an engineer by profession, I did want to get that experience on a professional level. So I took a detour in my career. Here's another kind of like failure, if you will. And I became a financial advisor with Edward Jones. So now they are an established financial services company and a great one too, you know. So I went from being a day trader to like a company that actually grounded me and taught me you know, what, um, you know, products are, what the financial products are and how to use them, how to apply them in the end. And, and for me, I always wanted to use it at, to help people, you know, cause I love to like show people how to improve and, you know, teach them things in the end, there is some of that, but a lot of it is more of a sales job, which is not necessarily what I'm good at. So Again, an example of failing early, I left my job at Procter & Gamble and joined um, Edward Jones in 2008, which was the start of the financial crisis. Right. Yep. So by September, many of us were laid off. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, again, like I say, you know, sometimes like you look back and you're like, like, how are you picking these dates? <laughs> you know, one was like going into the oil field industry and then having like all these storms and a Middle Eastern war that, you know, had people get laid off. Then I joined the financial services industry right when there's a financial crisis and people are getting laid off. But I mean, I, I left with great knowledge, great information, which then led me to understand that, well, I'm not really into sales and I do want to help and empower people. So how can I do that? And that's how I decided that, hmm, maybe I just kind of start my own thing. And that wasn't like an immediate thing from Edward Jones. So, hey, I'm going to start my own thing. It was more something that I kept thinking about. And especially since, you know, friends would reach out, my um, family members would reach out asking questions. And I realized that I loved explaining it to them. I loved helping them plan it out. You know, so I'm like, hmm, maybe that's what I should do. And so maybe trying to sell the product, it's more help people um, organize themselves, help people take control of their finances. I forgot to say this earlier, is that you're also an author, like you wrote the book, 50 Shades of Green, that is a stock market guide for financially independent women, basically. And I think that I love that, again, you learned the things you learned with in the colorful situations that you did. And then you notice that you actually love helping people with this. So you've, you've written a book, you have a business that does this. But I guess for someone who's listening, who's like, I don't even finances shuts me me down right that when you mention money and i can cannot can no longer add how do you define financial health and success and and what do you think how do you think your approach helps people to approach money in a way that is not intimidating <laughs> <laughs> and i absolutely appreciate that a lot of people do approach money with a little bit of intimidation like you know like it seems this huge thing, right? Part of what I want to share with people is how to make it simpler, you know, and that has always kind of been my goal. Luckily, I'm very creative in terms of breaking things down. And that could maybe be the engineer in me, I'm not sure. Right. But you know, trying to like break things down into simpler uh, models for people to understand. So one of the things that I do is just to help people see the big picture. And kind of like tap into that feeling of what would it be like if you had control of your finances, you know, because I want to share with people the feeling that I have knowing that I have my finances in control and having it in control doesn't mean that you're ready to retire. It doesn't mean, you know, that, hey, you're a millionaire or a billionaire or whatever. It just means that hey, you know where you stand with your finances and you have a goal of where you want to go and you have a plan to get there. You know, so that's how I would define financial success, you know, to anyone. And so my role then is to help people identify what those goals are and then come up with a plan to get to those goals. You know, in the end, it's simple, not easy, but it is really simple right? Because you have money coming in, you have money going out. <laughs> and right. you have a plan for what you want something to be in the future, right? right? So then everything else in between is like, well, how do we either improve money coming in? Or how do we reduce money going out? You know, what, what else can we do, you know, and just kind of like getting a hold of your situation? Yeah, I love that. And I love how easily you're breaking that down. Because it's true, right? It's it's simple math. Most of the time it's money coming in, money going out. But so for so many of us, finances are tied on an emotional level to so many things, right? Whether it's childhood trauma, whether it's what, you know, whatever insecurity, like we can tie money into so many things when the concepts of money are really simple in a lot of ways, but not necessarily easy to get to those goals, but simple. Agreed. And there is that emotional connection, like you said, about uh, money, where a lot of some people feel, you know, once they have money, they have to spend it, you know, some people use money as a way to treat themselves, or they use it as a way to treat others, you know, and when I say treat, you know, like, get nice things for themselves to to reward themselves, make themselves feel better, you know, and 
there, I don't think there's any wrong or right way, you know, and everyone's financial journey is going to be unique, you know, so it's just helping people identify what that is, what they want for themselves and how to get it. I have this interesting relationship with money. And when you were saying spending it, I think for me, it's hard to, I'm definitely one of those people where I'm thinking about what I'm going to be doing with the money before I even have it. (laughs) So when I do have it, it's already gone. Um, But it's so interesting because what I do with my line of work, I'm responsible for people's money as far as, you know, project management. And it's, it's funny because I could do that for other people and manage, you know, large amounts of money for other people. But then when it comes to myself, I can't even manage, you know, something so simple and small amounts. (laughs) Any advice for me? (laughs) I imagine that you're not alone at all. Like, I mean, aren't there many of us who were so great at managing other people and giving other people great advice? And then for ourselves, we're like, uh, what's happening here? Yes, where do I start? What am I being? Where do I go? Yep. Right. And I think that is why, and, you know, like Lisa and I have had this conversation where once you know where you are now, and once you have it in your mind where you want to go, things become a lot clearer. And again, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it just becomes clearer, right? Because a lot of times in our minds, it's just that "Hmm, I have a bunch of money and well, you know, I should be able to afford this, you know, so I'm going to like spend it. I should be okay because we don't have very precise numbers in our head. But if let's say you knew like, hmm, I really only have $50 left over this month. So that $60 pair of shoes or, you know, whatever will either have to wait or I'm going to have to add more debt, right? And then if you already have a picture in your mind, like, hmm, okay, that more debt now translates to, I'm not gonna be able to meet this goal that I said I wanted to meet until maybe next month or until two months later. You know, so once it becomes clear, you start to hopefully make more informed decisions. Decisions, yeah, no, good point. And honestly, you're not alone because in my mind, so here I am, right? Maybe supposedly this financial expert and who's here to like help and empower people to reach financial independence and meet their goals and everything. But even I fall into that trap too, where I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, well, I know I have money somewhere. There's money somewhere. Like, well, and I can spend it. I shouldn't run out. You know, in your mind, you're like, well, I don't think I'm going to spend it and run out. But the problem is that you're accumulating or spending money that you never planned for. You know, and, and that's the difference, you know, because a lot of people are like, well, I, I know I make enough money. Yeah, you do. But did you plan to spend that money the way you're spending it? Right. Yes. Speaking of the plan, it's funny because budgeting is like one of the most basic things, but and different people have different relationships to budgets. And I'm one of those people who's like, oh, it's in my head, which I know is like the wrong thing to say about a budget. But that's kind of what you're describing. Like, I know I make a more money than this $80 thing I'm about to buy. Yes, you do technically, but where is your money supposed to be going versus on this random impulse buy in this moment? And not to mention the fact that you keep spending that $80 over and over again, because in your mind, like, oh, I can afford that $80. Then another $80 comes up. You're like, oh yeah, I can afford that. And then before you know it, you've you've accumulated $10, $80 affordable things. And now it's $800. (laughs) And, and were you really able to afford $800? Probably not. You know? Not right. $800 unbudgeted. Un- no, you know. Exactly. And I think that's what happens to a lot of us. It's like, it, it's all in our head. Like, oh, yeah, you know, we're doing like this mental math. But, you know, our minds love to play tricks on us. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, indeed. So I, I think about the fact that, so even for you, right? So you have your personal finances and your goals, but you're also a business owner and an author. So you have the professional side of things. Do you have a different approach as a business owner than you do personal? I mean, you clearly have different sets of goals, but how do you manage that? Like, what's your approach to business and um, to money in business? Like, so the women who are listening to us who are entrepreneurs, what should they be thinking that they might not be thinking about where their finances are concerned? Oh, that's a great question. 
I would say that because my business is a one woman business, right? My business finances are very closely tied to my personal finances, you know? So I do tend to manage them in the same way in that I plan for expenses, you know? So whether it's personal or business, it's still the same. Money's coming in and money is going out. At the beginning of your business, you will know that you're going to spend more probably than you make, right? But there has to be an understanding that at some point, you're going to have to pay this off somehow. And so I think the basics still apply is understanding what money is coming in and having a handle on what money is going out. You know, and so for me, my business kind of remains contained and small because that's what I'm comfortable with. You know, I always want to be able to manage the pulse of my expenses and my income coming in. But that's not necessarily the case for everybody else out there. You know, to grow, some businesses will have to be in debt. And I think that's okay as long as, again, there is a plan. You know, like, hey, this is how much debt we have. This is how much we have coming in. We know we have to increase how much we, we make, you know, and yeah. the debt we're accumulating, is that going to help us do that? You know, because I think once you understand, get the picture, you every decision you make becomes more informed. You know, if I make, if I accumulate this additional debt, is it going to help me increase my income? Is it just a nice to have or is it value added? Yes, I love that. And I feel like you've touched on it a couple of times about just the the picture being clear, because essentially we don't know where we're going without this clear picture. So how much debt are we, in, you know, even the debt piece you just mentioned, the way you figure out if the debt makes sense is closely tied to the kind of business you're, you, you have, right? Like if I'm Absolutely. going to be selling cookies on the corner, then I probably shouldn't go into $10,000 <laughs> debt to, to sell cookies on the corner. But it's like, there, it all... I think the picture is the most important piece, right? And then from there, you make all the decisions accordingly. Um, right, you, you, you're able to make more informed decisions. decisions. So I guess as we're going, you know, as we're in the beginning of a new year, someone who's like, I have, you know, I have my budget in my head. Yes, I know I make more than $80. I'm not even sure where I'm going. What are the things that you would recommend that people figure out to create this picture? Like, what, what are some things to start? with for the people who are completely financially illiterate, if you will? So the very first things that I would say people should start with is figure out how much money comes in. Usually that is very simple for many of us because usually it's a paycheck, right? Well, our money is coming in from one source. But Sabine, you're an interior designer, so you're probably getting money from multiple sources, right? So, and that would be the same for, I think, any other business owner is that you'd be getting money from multiple sources. But for many of us, it's really, it's, you know, a paycheck. That's where the money is coming in from. So I think once you figure out where's all my money coming in, then the, more, the next important thing is like, where's all my money going? And one of the things that I recommend is be as detailed as possible like get it out of your head right so all of a sudden you're looking at and a great way to do that is just look at your bank statements look at your credit card statements you know look at all the atm withdrawals that you make to get you a good picture you know because you might be thinking that oh yeah you know i only have four or five expenses you know like the big ones like rent or mortgage a car payment um internet food right but then you look a little closer and you're like, hmm, every month I withdraw $100 on Friday. Maybe you spend it Friday night, right? Going out or hanging out. Right. You need right. to account for those things. You know, those are kind of like the hidden costs that we all kind of like brush aside and, oh, it's no big deal. I gave my cousin $50. Oh, I found 10 bucks in my, in my wallet and I gave it to XYZ or I spent it. Those are the things that we really do need to figure out. I guess as a business owner, how often would you recommend someone looking at their money, at their finances, like quarterly, monthly, weekly? It's funny because I don't, when I look at the numbers on a chart, that's when everything becomes real. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait, how much, how much am I spending? Uh, right. Maybe I don't need to do, maybe I need to look at 
more cost-effective marketing ideas or, you know, how much is, um, but I feel like personally, I don't look at my money enough. Um, so how would you recommend, what would you, what would you recommend or how often? And I think, um, you know, the, probably a lot of people personally and business from a business perspective do the same, right? A lot of people tend to look at the end of the month, you know, compare, but then you're just doing a look back at that point. It's mm -hmm. already happened. So what I would recommend is if you have a budget and there are so many tools out there now, like different apps and different websites, or if you're like me, I use apps, but I also use Excel, you know, like I like to, because I like to get as detailed as possible, you know? So once you understand that, Hey, so using your example, Sabine, of marketing, like I've set a budget for $500 um, as my mar marketing budget. And then you use an app or an Excel sheet or something else to track along the way. So let's say by the middle of the month, you've already hit your $500 mark. Then it becomes clear to you. You don't have to wait to the end of the month to find out that, oh crap, I overspent. You already found out because you know that I overspent, you know, my $500. And then the question then becomes why, you know, like maybe this month you have to spend more than 500 and then next month you're going to spend less, right? Maybe in the end, it's going to balance out. But what you want to avoid is surprises and you want to kind of, again, being in control means you know, you're informed, right? It might good be on point. a point, yeah. but you're informed. Right. Yeah. Good point. I like that point. Being in control meaning means that you're informed. Yeah, thank you. It does. And one of the things that I do, and I don't know, it might not work for everybody, is even though I like to get into the details of where my money is going, but that is just almost like to help me understand the big picture, right? But I don't want to get into the minutiae of constantly tracking stuff every day. Like, I mean, I really don't want to do that, right? So what I try to do is, for the big ones that are important. So example, let's say we have a grocery budget of $500 every month. I have a bank account that's just for groceries. And every month you throw $500 in there. And you have your check card or whatever that goes to that account. So you keep spending it down, right? Well, lo and behold, middle of the month, you're now down to $1 in the account it's like, well, ding, ding, what happened to your budget? So it's, it's one of two things. Maybe $500 a month doesn't make sense. Or maybe you guys have been spending too much and now it's time to eat the food in the house that you've been buying, you know? But that's kind of uh, one way that I do it. Because if, let's say, that money is commingled with all the other monies, it doesn't quickly become clear to you that you've overspent your $500. Whereas if the $500 is in an account that's dedicated to that thing, it becomes very clear very quickly when you're, you're approaching zero. I so love that example. It's funny, a friend just yesterday was talking about overspending her grocery budget and that's one of her to make sure that she doesn't spend that much on groceries. But I love the, so even the fact that you have this in this separate account with its own card, is an approach, right? That may not even occur to a lot of different people. So how does the average bear, if you will, what's the best way for them to figure out what works? I'm assuming a lot of trial and error, but even how to figure out how to stick to this budget once it's out of your head, it seems like there are a lot of different tricks needed, if you will. And that's why I say that for every person, this journey is unique, right? Because I encourage people to do what works for them. Because if you try to do what works or what someone recommends, and but it doesn't work for you and you try to do it, you're probably not going to be able to sustain, True. you know, True. or you'd, you'd do it for a couple of months and then you're, you're done, right? So I recommend that people kind of observe like, hey, what are my patterns and what are my behaviors, right? So I know, for example, that Every, I do not balance my checkbook. I don't think I've ever balanced a checkbook. And honestly, when people send me stuff and expect me to mail them a check, I'm like, really? Like, what century are we in? <laughs> I literally have to go dig up like some checkbooks. I'm like, what? <laughs> 
So I've never balanced a checkbook. I don't look at my accounts daily to see what went in, what went out. So I know that's me, right? There are people who are very good about checking. What did I spend today? Um, you know, what do I have slated for tomorrow? And for those people, you know, there's a different method that would work for them. So me knowing that I would rather just know that I have this money set aside. And if I'm approaching zero, it means I need to stop spending. You know, so for me, that works. So I would recommend that people kind of like think of, hey, what are your own patterns that you think would work for you? Because there are different ways in which you could manage um, your money. Yeah, I love that. And I would have never expected a financial guru to say, I've never balanced a checkbook. So that that's the thing to just because there isn't just one way to do this. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, so I'm holding in my hands your book. Fifty Shades of Green. Love the title, by the way. I'm like, ha ha. Um, but yes, can you tell us about the journey to writing that? Like w- why you wrote it, why we should get copies, all of, all of the things, why we should know what's in, in your book. Sure. Uh, so I discovered my interest in the stock market, like I said, um, my senior year in college. Once I went to grad school, I actually deliberately took some um, stock market classes, as well as I then, you know, took a detour in my career, my engineering career, and became a financial advisor for about nine months with Edward Jones. But all throughout, like my interest never waned. And I did recognize the stock market as a way to build wealth, and with really a low entry, like point of entry. And I think that's key because there are different ways you can build wealth. A lot of people build wealth through real estate, right? But before you can do that, you at least need down payment, right? Which in real estate is usually 25% of the price of the house. You know, you need banks and all of that. Whereas for a stock market, you need maybe $500. And there are so many of them now where you don't even need $500. You know, you can open up an account and you can start investing, you know, so it is one of the ways that the average person can build wealth. So recognizing I had that interest, I've been thinking for a very long time, I I have this big giant notebook and I call it my um, book of ideas and it dates all the way back to like 2001 or so where I've jotted ideas in there like I flip through sometimes and I see like my financial plans you know at one point where all I could invest was a hundred dollars a month you know like it's good to look back just to see how you've grown and how you've evolved and in this notebook I kept looking like I kept coming back to like how would I explain investing um, to people you know I thought about oh could I use playing cards Um, And then I thought about, oh, the mall, you know, how about if I used the mall as an example and, you know, going and buying something to describe what it means to own a stock, you know, to own part of a company, you know, so trying to break it down to the level where people can relate to it every day, right? And so I, so I, I kept mulling this idea in my head. Um, I didn't really think of writing a book until and maybe some moms will curse me out here, but <laughs> I didn't think of writing the book until when I was on maternity leave, um, you know, because I had a ton of downtime. And the reason I had a ton of downtime was because I was I'm like, downtime? Explain. Well, I got an infant <laughs> and I wrote a book about money. Yes. Explain. Well, that's why I said like some moms might just curse me out at this point. <laughs> but the reason I had the downtime is because I was determined to sleep train that baby. So we did not go oh. anywhere. And that baby was going sleep. to be sleeping on a schedule if I had anything to do about I, it. it. You yes. know? Sleeping is key. Oh my right. gosh. And so, I mean, I really didn't go out much, you know, during that time. Watched a lot of Netflix while she was sleeping. And then I started to write this book. And then once I got back into the workplace, it kind of like slowed down a little bit, but you know, the foundation of it was there. And the last push was just getting it published. 
right? So I, I wrote it and I wasn't even sure if it was good. I mean, I'm sure you guys have experienced that where you're like, well, sounds good to me, but will anybody else find it right. interesting? And when I sent it out um, to the editors and they edit financial books, you know, they gave like glowing feedback. I'm like, wow, these are people who see other financial books and they thought it was really good. So, you know, that got me excited. And when I, when I was thinking of the name for it, um, I kept reading about how, you know, like women are not as confident as men when it comes to investing and managing money. And not to mention the fact that, you know, we only make 78 cents um, to every dollar that they make. And so because of that, a lot of women are behind when it comes to money, you know? So I was reading about that. And then at the same time, Fifty Shades of Grey was out and like every woman's reading a copy. I'm like, all right, if they can read Fifty Shades of Grey, they can read about and learn about right. their money. So I decided to call the book Fifty Shades <laughs> of Green, you know, so just to tie in um, with what was happening at that time. Play of words. Yeah, play on words. Right. It's like, ladies, pick up a copy of Fifty Shades of Grey and Fifty Shades of Grey. Or Fifty Shades of Grey first, actually, <laughs> and then you can pick it up for all these other books you're buying. <laughs> <laughs> And so that's how the book and the title, you know, um, came about. It was published January 1st, 2015. How was that process? Because it's, it's one thing to be good in your industry, right? It's another thing to write a book and get editors involved and getting it published. So how did you go about getting it published? Oh, that's a great question. And, you know, when I think back, I, you know, I it always feels as if, oh, I wrote it and then I published it. But when I think back, I was on maternity leave in 2012, meaning I started the book in 2012 and it wasn't published till 2015. So obviously it didn't happen overnight. You know, there must have been right. like things I was doing in, in addition to going back to work and then having a kid and all of that, right? Um, so the process I would say was thanks to having mentors, you know, I had a friend who had also published a book. Um, she's an accountant and her book was also on finances, but from a different angle, you know? And so it was great, like, again, having a, and that's the thing about women helping others, right? Women helping women, you know? So she helped guide me with the resources that she had. And from there, you know, doing additional research, to then get that process going. You know, even things as simple as picking the right book cover, like I'm holding up the book. You know, like even doing that research, like, oh, you know, how do I even get someone to design this? How do I, right. you know, go about it? Like, and what's the right one that's going to send the right message for what I want and, and be inclusive, right? I mean, like all of those things, um, it was all a process really. And, and just learning along the way and luckily having mentors, uh, one particular mentor and then additional, you know, help along the way. Yeah, I think that's so important. It, it does take, it almost takes a tribe, right? Absolutely. Nobody, nobody succeeds on their no, own. There's, right. there's no such thing as anyone who's self-made. No, no, you, you, you get lucky. You, you get a lot of help along the way. You know, there's, Absolutely. As a coach, uh, what, how would you describe your style? So if I was to say, okay, I want to call Vermont um, and I want her to be my financial coach. A, is that possible? B, how would you describe your style? Like, what is it like to work with you? So yes, you can absolutely, you know, call me up and say like, hey, I need some guidance. And for me, I'm continuing to learn and evolve, you know, I'll be honest because I'm very intense and interested in this stuff. And I can talk about it all day. And sometimes I'm not always aware that people's eyes are glazing over. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not as interested, especially when it's about their own money. I'm like, how can you not love this? <laughs> how can you not love this? scared. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, it's very vulnerable. It like is. you have to put yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and you know, what? I'm continuing to learn that. So the more 
women I talk to, the more I'm starting to understand, like, whereas to me, it seems very clear and it seems very obvious. It's not always clear and obvious to other people, you know? So I'm learning to take a step back and start from that place of having them kind of share what their thoughts are about money, you know, because I would say my engineering um, background and training makes me want to immediately dive into, all right, let's do your budget. Let's figure out where your money is going. And, but really, if it were that simple, everybody would be doing it, right? Sure. There, there's that emotional piece of it, especially for so women, huge. right? There's that, it is, right? And so I'm learning to kind of like take that step back to say like, hey, let's even talk about what it is that you want. Like, how do you even see this? You know, my very first question is like, what does financial independence mean to you? You know, because it can mean different things to different people. You know, for some people, it might just be, I want to be stable and know that I have enough money left over every month that I can put something small away and go to my work every day because I love it so much. And for them, that's fine. And that's okay. For some other people, it could be like, hey, you know, I want to retire in 10 years. And I want to, you know, like really go at it hard so that I can be done in 10 years. And that's great too. You know, for every, every person, it's going to be different. So you kind of meet people where they're at and um, try to help them accomplish where they want to go. Exactly. Exactly. Because I don't see financial success as being rich or wanting to become a millionaire or anything like that. It really is. I really want women to take control of their finances. Like, you know, that's what it is for me. And you can take control at different levels and you can also not be in control at different levels, right? You'd be surprised what the research shows, like highly educated women with making a lot of money who do not manage their own finances, who do not take control of their own finances, who like, let's say a partner or a spouse dies or leaves or whatever, find themselves destitute, you know? So Mm -hmm. this isn't a thing about, oh, education or level of income. It really is just a... Uh, a common thing that we can all kind of relate to. So as a coach, um, what are your thoughts about the FIRE movement? I guess for those that don't know what it, the acronym is financial independence, retire early. Right. What do you think about that movement and do you practice it? And so I think it's great. And I like to kind of say, like I was using the, the term FI before fire came about <laughs> right so you, you really <laughs> hence your business name like i was doing this exactly okay. <laughs> yes and and honestly you know there are people from way back when who were also who also had that mindset they didn't necessarily call it fire right so i think it is awesome i think the more people want to be independent financially and do what they want to do. For me, financial independence is about gaining control of my time. That's what it means to me, right? I control how I spend my time because I'm financially independent. If I want to work, it's because I want to, and I love what I'm doing. You know, if I want to spend my time at my daughter's school, it's because I can, and I'm able to. That's what financial independence means to me, right? So, And I believe that is kind of the mindset of the FIRE movement. So I'm all for it. I love it. And when people say retire early, everyone's vision of retirement is going to be different, right? Right. I mean, if I say I'm going to retire this year, it means I'm going to retire from my full-time job and probably focus full-time on my business, right? So I'm retired from that, but it doesn't mean I'm sitting at home doing nothing. Good point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. And I believe that's what um, a lot of people with that mindset and in that movement believe it's, Hey, I'm going to retire early, meaning I'm financially independent. And now I can choose to do what I want with my time. It's about having choices, being empowered. And it's a great feeling. Like I would, I, I want every woman to have that feeling. 
you know, of just being empowered and saying like, hmm, you know what, this isn't how I want to spend my time. And I, you know, I'm, I'm in control enough that I can, I can choose. I love that. And I think that that really is it, right? Like not working because we have to, or not taking a job you don't love because you have to survive, but being able to choose where you spend your time, how you spend your time, whether it's building a business, whether it's on a beach, whether it's, you know, volunteering, but being able to spend your time as you choose to, like that's something that is a huge luxury that so many people don't even believe is possible. So thanks for the reminder that that really is possible if we set the goal and really pursue it. And something else that I want to add that is kind of on the way to becoming financially independent is that once you're in control of your finances, again, being in control doesn't mean that you're there. It just means that you're aware, you're informed, and you have a plan. So you're in control, right? Once you're in control of your finances, we talked about being able to make informed decisions. Once you know what you know, and you're in control, you're able to say no to that role that's not going to pay right. you enough. Mm. You're able to say no to that promotion that where they're trying to sell you a 1% raise when you know that you should be getting like a 10% raise. You know, you're able to say like, uh, yeah, no, that's not going to work for me. You know, so you're not really at fire yet. You know, you're not at the point where, hey, I can retire and like say F you and leave. <laughs> But you're in control enough and aware enough and informed enough to be able to say no or to be able to ask for more or to be able to walk away, you know. So really, it's really about empowerment. It's, it's almost nothing to do with the money itself and more. Another that good feeling. point. Yeah. Yeah. It's more that feeling, that empowerment and the choices it allows you to make and to have. Yes, I love that. And you said feeling a couple of times. I think that's a thread I'm hearing a lot more of just with goal setting in general. I think so often when we're afraid of things, so for instance, I can run from money conversations and because I'm afraid of whatever I'm going to feel when I get to, when I look at all the books and realize there's nothing there or whatever it is. And so I'm often trying to run from this feeling of anxiety, of de- of even looking, right? But you keep talking about the feeling we want to have when we know what's going on, when we are empowered, when we have achieved our goals. And it's so interesting and so important to focus on what we want to feel when we have achieved a goal versus the feeling we're running from in the short term. Exactly, exactly. And that's what I'm hoping to tap into Um, for anyone that comes to me or even when I share videos or when I share writings is for them to tap into that feeling like, hey, you're here now and you need to understand where you are now in order to get to where you want to go. And where you want to go can be anything you want. It doesn't have to be anything someone else tells you. It can be whatever you want. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I got so many great nuggets. I like attaching the feeling because a lot of times we, we can tie money to something tangible. And then when we do get that thing, that's tangible, it's not a lot of times you hear people say, this is not what I thought it was going to be, or this is Mm -hmm. not the feeling that I thought I was going to get from this thing. So thank you for just reminding us of that. So yeah. So as we wrap, where can people find you? you know, what's the best way to contact you? How do we work with you if that's what we want to do? And buy your book. All all the things. (laughs) Where do we find you? All right. So my book is available. That's the easiest one. My book is available on Amazon, you know, 50 Shades of Green, um, a stock market guide to the financially independent minded woman, a little bit of a mouthful, but it's worth it once you get, um, once you get your copy. And then if you want to contact me, I have a website. It's called thefiwoman.com. And on there, I actually offer complimentary planning sessions. You know, so I offer 30-minute complimentary planning sessions where I help people just again tap into that feeling that we were talking about, you know, try to get them thinking about hey, what is it that it would mean to you? What is it that you want? And some of the questions that I ask them is to help uncover some of those feelings that they have. Like, oh, you know, I realized I don't even know 
like how much I have in the bank, or I don't even re I realize I don't even know how what different accounts that I have, or mm -hmm. I realize I don't know where it is I want to go with this, you know. So it helps uncover some of those things and then gets us talking about it. I love it, and we'll have all of that in our show notes as well. Um, but thank you so much for this conversation. I think it is definitely what I needed as we are, you know, in a new year. Um, just to get that power back in this important area of life that affects so many things. It's like, we don't have a, we don't have a choice to deal with our finances or not. I mean, I guess we could choose not to, but it is so empowering when we know what's happening financially and we know that we're actually yes. actively making choices towards where we actually want to be versus waiting for something to happen to us or to not happen to us. So I think that that's just something we all need is to, to take control of this important thing, especially in a time of uncertainty as we kind of always are, but as if, as we are now. So thank you for, for all of that. Thanks for having me. No, this was great. Yeah. Thank you for making the conversation about money feel comfortable yeah. and, and achievable. Like, there's a lot of possibility present. So thank you for that. Yes. Absolutely. So. It is achievable. I, and, and I understand that people might be scared to start, but please do not be. Thanks, ladies. Thank you. So there is something about talking to experts, isn't there? Like I think, you know, when I think finances, as I mentioned earlier, I just shut down. But it's so cool talking to people like Ramat for whom this is actually a, a joyful topic and something she loves to engage in. So I'm definitely riding on her energy into this new year to tackle financial matters and other things I think are scary in a new way in 2021. Agreed. Agreed. So who are you going to give kudos to? So I would give kudos to, there's a show called When Calls the Heart that I've been obsessively binge watching on Netflix. And I would take out the character, Elizabeth Thatcher, that's played by Erin Krakow. And the reason why I would take her out is she, she plays, I've been inspired just by her character. She plays a teacher in the 1900s. And I just love her gift that she has of really bringing out the best of her students. So she has a one room schoolhouse and she has kids from all different ages and backgrounds, yet she's able to pull out their strengths and of course their strengths and weaknesses, but there's a way that she just pulls out their strengths and helps them really and just in life and become better people. But she also talks about her role as a teacher, not just as a career, but as her calling. Like she feels like she was literally put on this in this world to teach. It's more than just a career, a paycheck, a way of life. And when I hear that, it kind of makes me question, you know, am I doing my purpose? Am I, you know, which I, I often question or I often have to remind myself. And there's something about doing something that's that feels more than you're helping others, but feels more than something that's part of a career or part of a livelihood. And I feel like her character, Elizabeth, has just really just inspired me that, you know what, you can, you can fulfill your purpose and it be beyond, you know, um, what you do for a living. So, yeah. So I would take Elizabeth for tea because that's all that she seems to drink in in the show. Um, she lives in the wild. This takes place in like the wild, wild west. So I would take her for tea. Okay. Very what cool. about you? Who would you give kudos to? Who would you take out for um, coffee or tea? So, yeah. So mine is a bit of a group thing. I think being in this reflexive moment at the beginning of the year, I just thinking about the people, the practices that have kept me grounded and sane. So I think there's just going to be a lot of people going for this ride. I, I would definitely take Jesus out <laughs> for yeah. some tea. Love that. Um, uh, I think, you know, my friends, you know, you, Kaya, Millie, um, Andre, all my friends who kind of listen to me and talk me off of the various ledges, my sisters, 
yoga with Adrian, you know, meditation and breathing, like all the practices and all the kind of people who've been such a great support and a, a great grounding force and presence, I think, would be taken out for whatever they would like to drink. So, yeah. So this would be rounds of coffee and tea. Yeah. So it'd be like pretty much everyone on my safety, everyone and everything. Again, if you could take inanimate objects out for coffee, like, you know, I can't take meditation out, but you know, the whole, basically all the practices and all the people who've helped me will just all have a big party of celebrating. Love life. that. Love that. Well, thank you in advance for my coffee. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) Thank you for joining us today. And be sure to subscribe, listen, and share with your friends. And even people you don't like, that's totally fine. And you can find us on all the things, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere you hear podcasts, all of the things. Anywhere you can find podcasts, we're there. And online. Thank you. Until next time. Bye. Bye.